Yeah, see if I can uh, press record and make it work. That was the one job I've got to get right. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for coming this morning, ladies. It's lovely to see so many people here. I actually wasn't sure quite what the numbers were going to look like today because I kept getting texts in the last few days. I can't come. I'm in ISO. I can't come. I've got COVID. Oh, my COVID's got COVID. So, yes, nice to see you all. And a big thank you to Vaughn for organising all the food. She's done a great job. Thank you. Particularly as um, she had to step in last minute. Wednesday I had a text from Lucy Malone who was doing all the food, bless her, saying that she had to go into ISO so could no longer do it. So Vaughn very kindly put her hand up and stepped in last minute and Cassie helped her too. So thank you ladies for that. All right, well, today we're going to be looking at the right kind of strong. So if you are making notes and want a title, that's what it is, the right kind of strong. And if you can open your Bibles to Proverbs 31, we're going to actually start off in there looking at verse 17. Just to give you a bit of a background while you're finding the passage, um, as I'm sure most of you know, Proverbs 31 is actually an acrostic poem, actually written by a mother for, for her son, describing to him the kind of qualities he should be looking for in uh, a wife. All right, so let's read then in verse 17, and then I'm going to pray for our time together. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. All right, Lord, we do thank you that we get together this morning, Lord. We thank you that we are all able to be here, Lord. We thank you that we're able to gather around your word and just fellowship and and have time together. And Lord, I do pray for our time. I pray that you would be glorified in it. I pray that you would help me, Lord, in my weakness, Lord, to communicate well, to communicate your words. Father, would you be glorified this morning? Would we each go home encouraged and strengthened to be the lady that you have called us to be? Amen. All right. Now, on the 8th of March, the world celebrated... um, What was it called again? I've just forgotten the name. International Women's Day. Hello. That's a good start, isn't it? Yeah. I put IWD for short, and I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) International Women's Day. Anyway, International Women's Day is a day designed to celebrate women and to promote their cultural and political and socio-economic achievements, which is a good thing. It is also designed to bring attention to the issues of abuse and violence against women, which is definitely a good thing. Now, I don't know about you, but on the 8th of March, my Facebook feed and Instagram feed was flooded with pictures of people celebrating the women in their life, their mothers, their daughters, their friends, their sisters, everyone. And a very common word that was used to describe these ladies was a strong woman. But what do they mean by that? I mean, it's a phrase that we hear regularly in our culture. Something we're encouraged to be as women is to be a strong woman. But what does the culture mean? What do the people mean when they describe that? What maybe you think of yourself as a strong woman? What do you mean when you think of yourself as a strong woman? And it's so important for us as Christian women that we look to the Bible to define what strength is. What true strength really means is biblically defined. So as we open up God's word together this morning, the one thing I want to encourage this morning is this. A strong woman is a woman who knows she is weak and knows it is only through humbling herself and depending on God that she will become truly strong. To be strong as biblically defined, not as the world said, is actually to know that we are weak. That's what the white kind of strong looks like. A strong woman is a woman who knows she is weak, knows it is only through humbling herself and depending on God that she will become truly strong. Now, before we continue, there are two books that have really been helpful for me as I've studied this topic. And I just wanted to recommend them to you this morning and acknowledge them. That is uh, The Right Kind of Strong by Mary Cassian and Woman and Girl by Kathleen Nielsen. So three points that we're going to be looking at this morning are number one, the part we play as women. Number two, the right kind of strong in womanhood. 
And number three, how we display the right kind of strong. But my hope for us all is that as we open up God's word together, that we will see what it means to be a strong woman as biblically defined what God calls us to be and actually not settle for what the, the world tells us. So number one, when the part we play as women. Before we look at what it means to be the right kind of strong, we actually have to look at what has God designed for us to be as women. God is our creator. We need to look to him. How did he design us? What was his plan as he designed and created women? And to do that, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to look back at Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27. We're actually going to be dotting around the Bible a little bit today, so don't feel like you've got to look up every verse. I will be reading them. So, Genesis 1, 26 to 27 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The land, the sea, the sky, the animals, the birds, they were already created. They're already done. And here we see in verse 26 that God is coming to the pinnacle of of his creation, the crown, the thing that he values the most, which is creating mankind. And the unmistakable point that we see from this passage is that men and women are completely equal in value, dignity, and ability to reflect the character of God as image bearers. Men and women are completely equal, completely equal in value, dignity, and the ability to reflect God as image bearers. You know, when you think about humanity, there are so many things about us, so many amazing things the way God has designed us that he could have actually referred to in this passage. He could have talked about our language proficiency and our ability to communicate, our ability to build relationships like animals can't, our ability to love, or our creativity. The different inventions that God has enabled mankind to make, the way that we um, represent him in his creativity. But he didn't choose to mention any of those things. He actually chose to pick on the one thing. The only thing he comments on is the fact that we created male and female. And that's significant. That's why it is studying gender through the lens of God's words is so important, actually so exciting that we actually get to see What did God mean for this? Why did he do it this way? Why did he draw the attention to the fact that we created male and female? I think sometimes we hear that we're going to study biblical womanhood and we can have a bit of an internal eye roll, like, oh, I've heard that before. And we expect we're going to hear something about women being inferior, not such a great role, men seem to get the better deal. Something that we're not always very excited about. But, you know, I think actually the opposite is true. God says to us as women, he says, women, you put me on display in a way that men don't. You give me glory in a way that men don't. God needs both men and women to play the part that God has called them to play in order to reflect his image to the world around us. The gender God made us is important. It's not just biological. I think that's something the culture tries to tell us, that our differences are just biological. We're equal. That means we've got to do exactly the same thing and have the same opportunities and have the same roles and everything. But that's not what God tells us. To be equal doesn't mean that we have to be exactly the same. He has created us men and women. He's created us equal in worth and value and dignity, but he has designed us to play different roles. Following on from Genesis 1, then, where we saw the the major creation account, we arrive in Genesis 2, and we remember that what God's response to everything in Genesis 1, everything he made, he responded, well, it was good. It was good. It was very good. That was the pattern that we saw. So then we come to see his response in Genesis 2 stands out to us. He says, after creating man, he said, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. 
You know, this statement there, it's not good for man to be alone, I think can often be um, thought of in relating to marriage, and whilst obviously it is relating to marriage, it's not purely narrowed in on marriage. Actually, the term God's, um, it's not good for man to be alone, is broader than that. Otherwise, God would have made it that everyone gets married. Why would the Apostle Paul, who was a single man himself, say that he wished everyone was single like he was? But if you have to get married, then get married. He seemed single as a good thing, singleness as a good thing. He wouldn't have described singleness as a gift if everyone was supposed to be married. <clears throat> it's also interesting to note here that the fact that it wasn't good for, me, for man to be alone wasn't, wasn't a surprise to God. It wasn't like he made man and was like, oh, hmm, that's, not, that's just not quite right. There's something wrong. I'm not quite sure what it is. Can't put my finger in it, but there's something not quite right. He's all-knowing. He knew from the beginning that he was going to create man and woman. So why did he do it that way? Why did he create man then say it's not good. Why didn't he just create man and woman together from the start? Well, we don't know all the answers to that question. There definitely is, seems to be something in it in terms of supply, signifying created order that men are called to lead, that created first, that in regards to male and female leadership in the church and home in the New Testament, um, they refer back to created order. And I think that sometimes when people say, oh, well, the, the, when they talk about male leadership in the home or in church, that's just cultural. It's not relevant to us these days. Well, you can't really argue that because actually, you know, where scripture talks about it, actually argues back to created order. It's not arguing from culture, it's arguing back to created order. But even then from following on from this announcement where God says it's not man to be alone, uh, not good for man to be alone, God then didn't jump straight into making woman. He actually continued on with the animals naming ceremony. So he brings all the animals along for Adam to see if he can find a helper. (laughs) And he, again said a helper could not be found. But again, God would have known that. So why did he do that? Why did he not just provide the woman? There you are. Everyone's happy. Everything's well. Well, as I said, we don't really know, but potentially God wanted Adam and us to recognise and feel the aloneness so that we might actually fully appreciate the design that he has made. The term helper that we have been given as women is not actually an attractive job description these days, is it? Sounds a little bit inferior. Sounds not that important. Sounds like a bit of a tag on, like, oh, you can help. Like, it doesn't sound very important. I think when I think of it sometimes, I think of the, ke- the kids that help pack up on a Sunday morning. You know, you see them pushing the chair trolleys around. Like, I think sometimes it's my kids, and they're definitely causing more stress than they are helping. You know, pushing or riding on the PA boxes. That doesn't look very helpful. Or you see them, the adults carrying the big frames, the boards or the couches back, and the kid is just holding on, like moving along. But you know if that kid lets go, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be completely fine. They're not really helping. And I think sometimes that we can think of our role as helper as like that, as not really very important, not really significant. We can think of the tens, we can, that's how we can seem to think of the way that the, the Bible describes women as helpers, something that we, something we would rather do, something else we would rather do that is a bit more important. But it is important. The Hebrew word helper used for helper here is actually Ezer, which implies strength, the kind of strength actually that is used in battle, which is a str- obviously strong. It's not a weak word. You know, the Bible describes God as helper in numerous occasions. In Psalm 118 verse 7 says, The Lord is with me. He is my helper. When we think of God as our helper, we're not thinking of him as a weak. Oh, he's just there because you know, he has to. He's our helper. He's strong. He's where we get our strength from. He's where we draw on. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was sent as a helper to us, guiding us, comforting us, aiding us, directing us. 
Genesis 2.18 says God created women to be a helper fit for him. And that term fit for him actually means complementing him. Hence where we get the term complementarianism. So men and women are completely equal in value, dignity and worth and ability to reflect the image of God. But we are not exactly the same in role. We are equal, but equal doesn't mean to we have to be identical. We complement each other. We work together to reflect God's image. If we're all trying to be men, God's image isn't going to be reflected well. If men are trying to be women, God's image isn't going to be reflected well. You think of it a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you've got the individual pieces. They're all very different, different colours, different shapes. You've got the bits that kind of go in a bit. You've got the bits that stick out, that fit into those bits. They're all different, but when you fit them together, as God describes man and woman, they make a picture. They display a picture that you can't see when all bits are just isolated by themselves. And that's like for us as men and women. When we fit together, when we work together, when we play the roles that God has called us to play, we display a picture of the gospel to the people around us. We point people to who God is. We reflect his image. Now here in Genesis 2, the word helper is clearly referring to the first married and all marriages that have followed since. But are all women called to be helpers to all men? Is being a helper at the core of God's design for women, regardless of their marital status? Well, Catherine Nielsen, in her book, Women and God, says the following. Just as Genesis reveals the foundational truth that male and female, not just husbands and wives, are created in God's image, so it would seem there is foundational truth in the creation of the first woman, not just the first wife, as a helper to the man. The high helper role of women, when women take it to heart, seems to flavour everything they do. It's definitely going to look different to our different relationships. Obviously, the way we help our father is going to be different to the way we help our husbands if we're married. The way we help our brother might be different to the way we help a friend. It's going to look different in different relationships. But the, the reality is the role of helper should favour everything we do as women. It's who we are. It's who we've been created and designed to be to reflect God's image. The idea that the help role is not purely restricted to the role of a wife is also supported by the New Testament. When you actually look at the New Testament, Testament passages that are talking about the role of a wife, the helper isn't mentioned once. It actually talks about loving a husband, respecting a husband, submitting to a husband, which obviously all en- encompasses the idea of helper, but the word helper is not actually ever referred to once directly in related to marriage. So it's important not to diffuse, define biblical roles in this, though, with also um, such as the fact that women in the church at home, things that the Bible clearly speaks into, We don't want to confuse that with other roles into which the Bible doesn't speak into. So, for example, the pattern for women as helpers does not mean that um, a woman can't be CEO of a business, that she can't be the principal of a school, that she can't be a prime minister. The Bible doesn't speak into those things. We can't go adding on to scripture things that it doesn't say there. Likewise, um, for church leadership, the Bible does talk about pastors the office of overseer being reserved for men. It does talk about women not to preach or teach or have authority in that way on a Sunday morning. But that doesn't mean that women can't use their gifts to lead and serve God in other areas in the church. It's very important that we stand on scripture and that we don't um, take things away from scripture, but it's also very important that we don't add to scripture and say things that it doesn't say. It's also important to guard against gender stereotypes. The Bible is clear that um, many, the Bible talks about many biblical principles, but it's actually quite lacking in application. It actually gives room for people to apply it as works for them. So, for example, the biblical principle of women having a heart for the home. We see that in Titus 2, the idea of women being busy at home. 
that's for all women, whether you are married and you live with a family, whether you live with um, flatmates or whether you live alone. The Bible calls us to have a heart for our home, the importance of the home, cultivating a home where we can show hospitality, where we can outreach to friends, where we can minister people, where we can have fellowship, where we can point people to Jesus. That's important for us as women. The biblical principle of men leading the home, if they are married, providing for the family is definitely there. However, if you are married, it doesn't talk about who should be doing the laundry, who should be doing the cooking, who should be managing the accounts. Definitely reads room for people to use their gifts and abilities differently that God has given them. So as much as we want to stand on scripture, we don't want to add to scripture. And we don't want to just give in to those stereotypes that I think the culture can read onto those. Now, the idea of biblical womanhood and the role of women as helpers is completely going against what the culture would teach. In fact, it's not going to be very popular. It's not going to be a thing that people champion. Even within the church, it's not always very popular. But, you know, it's so important that we know and appreciate the design that God has given us. He is our creator. He's the one that gets to define us. He's the one that made us. And it's only when we take it on board, when we live out the role that he has called us to play, that we are able to display him to the world around us. And this is so important for us these days. You know, the, the world is going further and further away from Christianity and God's designs. So I think for us as women, Christian women, it's important that we stand up and we, we talk about what the Bible t- teaches, that we talk about the way God's designed us and that we model it to those around us. We show people the different way to live and we show people a way that points to God. Okay, so now understanding God's design for us as women, we're going to move on to point number two, which is the right kind of strong in womanhood. Have a quick drink. Mm-hmm. All right, number two. The right kind of strong in womanhood. <clears throat> as we read at the beginning in Proverbs 31, 17, it says this, she dresses herself with strength. Now, we think, we tend to think of strength and weakness as opposites. You can't be strong and weak. You're either a strong person or you're a weak person. If you look up the word um, weak in the dictionary, it actually says not strong. It says liable to break under pressure. You know, being weak is seen as the opposite to being strong. Being weak is seen as a negative thing. Whereas most of us would think of being strong as a good thing. Being strong is positive. You know, if we're going back to the Facebook post on International Women's Day, um, People referring to their female friends as strong is a compliment. It's encouraging them. It's saying, be like them. This is somebody I respect and want to be like. But if we'd seen people posting pictures and saying, hey, look at my sister. She's a real weak woman. <laughs> like, it wouldn't have quite had the same effect. I think it would have actually seemed a bit weird and a bit awkward and it probably wouldn't have got many likes. <laughs> Being weak isn't necessarily something that is seen and valued in our culture. But the Bible would have something different to say. God's word tells us that when we rely on God is actually when we are truly strong. In and of ourselves, we are weak. I mean, think about it. We can't actually even keep ourselves alive. We can't keep our hearts beating. If our heart stops now, there's nothing we can do. It. We have no control. We are actually weak in and of ourselves. It's only when we rely on God and trust in him that we are actually strong. Our gifts and abilities, the way God has made us, not actually what make us strong. Our dependence on God does. All that we have, our gifts and abilities, our personalities are actually gifts from God. They're from him. We didn't, we didn't make them ourselves. We don't have anything to boast in. We didn't achieve them. They're all the way God has made us. And he does use our gifts and abilities. When we depend on him, he will use those and he will work through those. But he also works through our weaknesses too. And we see this in the life of Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 9, it says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited, 
because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, Paul had, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. You know, we don't know what that was, but a thorn definitely sounds like something painful, sounds significant. We know it's significant because he asked three times, pleaded with God even, it says. Not just asked, pleaded with God. He was obviously quite keen for this to be removed. But what was God's response? God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then how did Paul respond to that? Well, Paul responded by boasting in his weakness. And why did he boast in his weakness? Verse 9 says, he says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's boasting in his weakness, relying on God's strength, so that the power of Christ could rest upon him. Now, what is the power of Christ? The power of Christ that we have when we trust in God, when we rely on him, when we get our strength from him, it's actually the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Now, that's pretty strong, I think, isn't it? When you think about it. That's amazing. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, we have available to us when we put our trust in him and when we rely on him for our strength. And we see this from Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, Paul is giving thanks for the church in Ephesus and he's praying that they may have their eyes of their hearts enlightened so that, he writes in verse 19 to 20, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Think about that. His power towards us who believe, who have put our faith and trust in him, is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and seat him at his right hand. We will become stronger and stronger the more we, like Paul, recognise our weakness, boast in them, lean on God, and present to him. That is how we will become truly strong. <clears throat> that is when the power of Christ rests upon us, is when we recognise in and of ourselves that we are weak, that we have nothing, that we boast in him and then we lean on him and not our own strengths and abilities. Why? Because when we are weak, then we are strong. And weakness isn't a bad thing. Weakness isn't something that we should be embarrassed about. Weakness isn't something we should try and hide. Weakness is like Paul says something that we should boast in. And writer and speaker Nancy de Mosborgmuth says this, anything that makes me near God is a blessing. So anything that reminds us of our weaknesses, that reminds us that we need God, is actually a blessing. Now, we're not saying in this that we shouldn't pray and ask God to remove these thorns in the flesh, that we should just, to relieve our suffering. That's, that's not what Paul's saying. But last Sunday, I was just praying with somebody in the church that has had significant sufferings um, for a prolonged period of time. We're praying with David that God would remove this from her, that he would help her. It's not wrong to pray that God would remove thorns in the flesh and, and remove suffering. We're told to cast our cares and our anxieties on him. We're told to come to him when we're weary and heavy laden and that he would give us rest. It's definitely not wrong to ask God to remove these things. But what is, is important is to recognise that God is at work in our weaknesses. That in our suffering, when we are weak, his power rests upon us. That we have his strength. And that's so different from the world, what the world says, isn't it? The world teaches us to be strong, to be independent. You do you. You don't rely on anyone else. You don't need, to, you don't need anybody else. 
And I think often that can be what we tend to think about as Christians too. We can t- take on the, the lies of the world and start to think some of those things, that start to think that being weak isn't a good thing, start to think that being strong in our own abilities and gifts is what we need to be. And in her book, The Right Kind of Strong, Mary Cassian writes this. She says, all too often, women think that being strong means foregoing their femininity and denying the most integral and beautiful aspects of who they are as women. Sadly, a woman who thinks she's strong may just be headstrong. A woman who thinks she's brave may just be rash. A woman who thinks she's bold may just be aggressive. A woman who thinks she's confident may just be arrogant. A woman who thinks she's independent may just be standoffish. A woman who thinks she is smart may just be foolish. When I first read that, that was definitely an ouch moment for me. Like, I was like, so good, but yes, definitely I have been that woman. I have been that woman that is headstrong. I have been that woman that is aggressive. I have been that woman that is arrogant and that is too quick to, to, to express my own opinion. But, you know, those things, being aggressive being arrogant, when I just say what I think, that doesn't make us strong, not as biblically defined. What makes us strong as women is what God's world tells us is that when we are weak, that we are strong. When we depend on him, we are strong. So as we have seen, a strong woman is a woman who knows she is weak and knows it is only through humbling herself and depending on God that she will become truly strong. Now then that we have looked at God's design for us as women and that we have seen what strength looks like for us in womanhood, as bigly defined, we're going to move on to our final point then, point number three, is how we display the right kind of strong. Now, it starts by putting our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. When we do that, when we accept him, when we take him as our Lord and Saviour, we are filled with his strength. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and made strong in him. It's a gift. There's nothing that we did to earn that. It's all of him. But as we read in Proverbs 31 at 17, does say she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. So whilst the Holy Spirit does make us strong and it is his work, the uh, metaphor is used to dress ourselves with strength and make our arms strong definitely imply that there's some kind of work on our part to do this. When we dress, we get dressed multiple times a day. Thankfully, everyone got dressed this morning. That could be awkward. But we dress, we put on our work clothes, we might put on gym clothes, we might come home and put on comfortable clothes put on PJs, jackets, shoes. We are dressing ourselves multiple times a day. Um, and making our strong also suggests regular, repetitive actions. Things that we're continually doing. Your arms don't become strong by just doing something one time. Actually, I had this time last year, it was, I actually had a arm, well, shoulder injury. I just woke up one day and my arm was really painful and I had absolutely no idea what I'd done. So I did what most people did and ignored it for quite a while. So, <laughs> But three months later, when it was agony I decided maybe I should go and get it looked at so I went to the doctor got an ultrasound scan and he said you've actually torn completely torn one of the tendons in your shoulder so um, anyway then on a Sunday I happened to be talking to um, Celia and David actually in the car park after church and as some of you will know David is a chiro but also um, a sports injury specialist and he said um, I think I might be able to help you so not that by any stretch my injury was not caused by my amazing athletic abilities it definitely wasn't <laughs> So um, I was actually probably caused by walking the dog or the dog walking me and carrying too many shopping bags. But anyway, so I went to see David. He said, go for an MRI, see what's really going on, which I did. And he said, look, there's still a few fragments in place. I think we can work on this. He's like, I can't reattach the tendon, but, you know, which is amazing the way God's made it. He says, what we can do is work with the scar tissue there that will start acting like a tendon. So it's great. Anyway, went to see him weekly for a while and he would 
do those dry needle things, which was um, not as painful as it sounds. Anyway, but he also gave me um, lots of exercises to do. He's like, you need to do these exercises three times a day, every day. I was like, whoa, okay, three times a day, every day. And over time, the strength came back. The pain relieved, and the shoulder started working, the arm started working properly. So I think it was probably January, I think, was my last appointment. He's like, you know, I think you're good. I'm like, great, good to go. But he's like, but you do need to keep doing the exercises. I was like, oh, I thought I was like, fixed, that was it. But um, no, he said, the strength will go if you don't continually keep building up the strength and maintaining the strength there. And the same is true for us with our spiritual strength. If we want to grow and if we want to be spiritually strong, if we want to be the right kind of strong, there are things that we need to do and keep doing in order to develop that strength. You know, if I'd just done those exercises one time on that shoulder, it wouldn't have done anything. If I'd stopped doing them, which is reminding me that I need to go home and do them, then I will lose that strength. But, you know, if we want to be the right kind of strong, there are some habits that we need to do and cultivate things that we need to put on in order to make ourselves strong. So to consider how do we become the right to strong, I just want us to look briefly at a strong woman in the Bible and learn from her, and that is Deborah. I'm sure a number of you have heard of her. You actually see her story in Judges 4 and 5. Don't worry, we're not going to read it all now. But let me introduce you to Deborah briefly. She is an example of a strong woman who serves the Lord. She respects and encourages the male leaders around her whilst throwing herself into the work that God has called her to do. Deborah was the fourth named judge in the book. We're not given too much info about her by way of introduction. All we read in Judges 4.4 is the following. It says, Now Deborah is a prophetess. The wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at the time. We were introduced to her as a judge. The Israelites came to her to settle their disputes they were having, to work out their disagreements. Now, this was slightly unusual at the time, as I'm sure most of you would be aware that every other judge in Israel was male. It was unusual to have a female judge. She definitely stands out in a good way, and she was a godly leader. Deborah was married, but we're not told anything about her husband. We're not told whether they have children. We're not told what their day-to-day life looks like. And in Deborah's song in chapter 5, we, she describes herself as a mother of Israel, which is actually an interesting metaphor that she uses. It kind of paints a picture for us. It highlights the kind of leader that she was to those around her, to God's family, mother of Israel. Israel was God's family. It gives us a sense of nurturing, caring, encouraging, playing that mother kind of role. It suggests kind of maybe a different way that maybe some of the men might have led. Anyway, Deborah was serving the Lord in these times, and they were hard times. Judges 4 begins with a description. Again, the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. She was serving the Lord in a time when many people weren't. They didn't want to know what God said. They weren't interested in him. They were trying to live their own lives, living their own way, rejecting him, which is kind of similar to the days we are in now, I think. Now, at this time, Deborah is bringing God's word to bear on the different situations. And as a judge, she's also administering the justice of God. And Deborah was strong. She was a godly woman. But what the source of Deborah's strength? How can we learn from Deborah and display the right kind of strong? And I believe Deborah models to us three ways we can grow in displaying the right kind of strong. The three ways that we can dress ourselves in strength and make our arms strong. Firstly, she um, is strong by knowing God's word. Deborah knew God's word. As we saw earlier, Deborah was a prophetess, someone who brought God's word to the people that God directed her to. Being a prophetess, God, in the Old Testament times, God spoke directly to her. Now, we still definitely believe in the gift of prophecy today, but we do see it as different. It's in part. It's not the unfallible word of God, which it was in Old Testament times. For us, the unfallible word of God we have is the Bible. That's what we have as, as the unfallible word of God, which is slightly different. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, says this, 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is not a collection of old stories that are just irrelevant and don't have anything to do with us today. It's God's word speaking to us. It's God's word revealing himself to us. It's God's word talking to us about ourselves. It's God describing the greatest, mission, greatest rescue mission ever told of how he came after us to save us and to restore us into a relationship with him. Matthew 4, 4 says this, this, he says, But he, meaning Jesus, answered, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The question for us this morning is, are we regularly feeding on God's word? Do we know God's word? Are we hiding it in our hearts, storing it in our hearts? As the psalmist says in Psalm 119, do we know it well enough to spot false teaching when we hear it? Do we know it well enough to identify the lies that the culture tells us, the lies about what marriage is, what love is, what sex is, what gender is? Do we know God's word well enough to spot these things? Do we know it well enough to spot the lies our own feelings and emotions tell us, which can pull us all over the place if we're not grounded and know the truth and are able to take those thoughts captive and speak the truth? Do you know how the FBI trains secret service agents to identify false money? Well, what they do is they put them in a room with real money, lots and lots of real money for hours and hours and hours. They spend time looking at it, feeling it, touching it, smelling it, getting to know all the different colours, all the different patterns. They become so familiar with it that when they spot a fake, they can, they can spot it a mile off. They don't, it doesn't take them long. They don't learn fake money by looking at all fake money. They actually learn what fake money is by studying the genuine thing, the real article. So that when they see a fake, they're like, fake, that's not real. Because they're so familiar what, with what real money looks like. And that is how we want to be. If we wanted to play the right kind of strong, we need to be rooted and grounded in God's word so that we know it. So that when somebody says something that isn't true about God or ourselves, we can be like, you know, I don't think that's true because that doesn't line up with what scripture tells me. That when the culture is telling us about what it means to be a woman or what it means to live a successful life, that we can be like, you know, that's different to what the Bible says. Or when our feelings are telling us that we can identify that and say, no, that's a lie. I need to speak truth to myself. We need to be rooted and grounded in God's word if we're going to know what the truth is, know what God's word is. Just going to here on a Sunday is not going to be enough to make us strong. We need to build up that strength. The same way we build up physical strength, we need to build up our spiritual strength. That's by regularly reading, feeding on God's word, filling our mind with the truth of who he is and what he's done. And this repetition goes on for days, weeks, months, years. You know all those godly old women that you see with grey hair that know their Bibles? They didn't become like that when they were 80. They have worked years and years and years to become that sort of woman, which is the sort of woman I want to be. I want to be the woman that knows God's word. And not only a woman who knows God's word to display the right kind of strong, we also see Deborah is the right kind of strong by speaking God's word. Deborah spoke God's word. We've seen that Deborah is a prophet, so she was bringing God's word to people that he commanded her to. But when Deborah summons a man named Barak, it's because she wants to give him a command, God's command, not her command. So in Judges 4, 6, says, she says, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Deborah is not the commander. God is the commander. She is the messenger communicating God's command to Barak. She was, there was the role of what the prophet and the prophetess did. 
Now, we are not prophets like Deborah, prophetesses, but we do have the Bible, which is God's word, and we are called to proclaim God's word to those around us. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. You know, we are to proclaim God's word to the lost, to those people who don't know Jesus, to take the gospel to them. But we're also to proclaim God's word to the found, the people that we're in life, doing life with, the people that we're in church with, pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to Jesus' commands. In Judges chapter 5, we hear Deborah's song, which is a song that she wrote and she sings, declaring the beauty of the story that God is writing, what he's doing, turning the eyes of those around her to the wonder of God and who he is, pointing people to God. Where do our words point people to? When we're talking to people, when we're giving counsel, when we're in our gospel community groups or growth groups, people are asking for counsel, are we immediately going to God's word or are we going to what we think? When we're praying for someone, where are we pointing, where are our words pointing people to? When we're seeking to encourage people, what are we seeking to encourage them with? Our words are not strong words. God's word is what is strong. So are we being like Deborah? Are we speaking God's word to those people around us? Not only did Deborah serve God well in difficult circumstances through faithfully knowing and speaking God's word, but she also served the Lord by encouraging male leadership. Deborah encouraged male leadership. In Deborah's song of praise to the Lord in chapter 5, we hear her praising God for the times when the male leaders around her do lead. Judges 5, chapter 2, which is a song. Sorry, 5, verse 2 is a song, but I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. It says, when the princes, which she's referring to as the male leaders in Israel, take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Then she then continues to sing in verse 9, my heart is with Israel's princes, which were the male leaders. She recognised and was very grateful for the male leaders that God had put around her. From her seat, which the, the verse talks about as under the palm of Deborah. I thought that was quite, I quite like that. Under the palm of Emma. It sounded quite good. She summoned Barak, telling him that God had commanded him to gather the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali to go to Mount Tabor into battle. And she tells him, she said, God will give the enemy into your hands. Saying, get these tribes, go into battle. God is with you. He is going to give the enemy into your hands. And Barak responds with the following in Judges 4.8. If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And Deborah immediately agrees. She doesn't hesitate. Her exact words were, I will surely go. She trusted God's word. She trusted him. She had no doubt that God would give the enemy into his hands because God had told her that's what he's going to do. Deborah wasn't just willing to deliver God's word, but she's actually willing to act on it too, actually do what God had told them to do. And she was willing to be a helper to Barak to encourage him to lead, to encourage him to take the role that God had commanded him to take. Now, Deborah could have given up on Barak um, and led the troops herself. She could be like, oh, ridiculous. I can't believe you won't do it. I'll just do it myself. Come on, move out of the way. She could have done that, but she didn't take over. She didn't take over from Barak. She didn't do the role that he was called to do. What she did was she used the gifts that God had given her. She used the strength that God had given her. And she reminded Barak. She reminded him of God's word. She cared about him, she exhorted him, she encouraged him to step up and lead as God had called him to. I will go with you, but I'm not doing it for you. She didn't take over, which may have been the easiest thing to do. I mean, she was a very gifted lady, is what we see from these chapters. 
But she knew what God had called her to, and she knew what God hadn't called her to. She knew the part that God had called her to play, and she knew then when she was going to be stepping into a position that wasn't hers. And she encouraged Barrett. She encouraged the male leaders around her. She helped them, but she didn't take over and do their job for them. Are we, as women then, encouraging male leadership where God has called men to lead? At church, are we supporting and encouraging the male pastors that God has put in place? Are we praying for them and encouraging them? Are we thanking them for standing on God's truth of the word on this? Like, not having female pastors is not a popular thing these days within churches. Our church would actually be a lot bigger if we did. There's a number of people that have moved on because they would disagree with that. Um, But... Are we thanking the pastoral team for standing on God's word, for not being willing to bend to popular opinion, but to stand on what they believe God is calling them to do in the home? Are we encouraging male leadership for young girls at home? Are you making your job's da- your dad's job easy to lead you? Or are you making it hard? Are you quick to listen? Are you seeking their opinions, seeking their counsel, or are you pushing back? Is your dad having to force himself in on you, in on you? If we're married, do we have that disposition to follow, to submit to our husbands? Now, I'm sure most of you are aware, but submission doesn't mean just we just have to, our husbands doesn't jump when we say how high. Obviously, it's not quite like that. We have that disposition to follow, that disposition to recognise that God has put them in leadership over us as part of his care for us. Do we have that disposition to follow them? Are we leaning them or are we making it difficult for them? Are we being manipulative? Are we being proud? Are we just seeking to get our own way all the time? In conclusion, then, the final thing that we see in Deborah through her song of praise in chapter 5 is that when Barak and other leaders in Israel respond to Deborah's encouragement to lead, she doesn't take the glory for herself. She didn't focus on her part or the part that, um, or what she had done. She praised God and gave the glory to him. She recognised that it was God at work, that it wasn't her. She recognised that her strength, everything that she had, came from him. Now, if we are going to be the like Deborah and be the right kind of strong, to be the women that God has created us and called us to be, we need to recognise this. We need to recognise that any gifts and abilities that we have that God has given us are from him. We need to recognise that in and of ourselves, we are weak. We can do nothing. It is only when we rely on him that we become truly strong. A strong woman is a woman who knows she is weak and knows it is only through humbling herself and depending on God that she will become truly strong. Let's just pray for our time together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the truth it speaks to us. Lord, we thank you for the light it is in the darkness of the culture and the world around us, Lord. And I do pray for us all as ladies in this room. Lord, I pray for us that, Lord, for those who are struggling, for those who are experiencing thorns in the flesh, for those who are experiencing suffering, Lord, would you be with them in it? We do ask that you would remove their suffering and their trials, but Lord, more importantly, we ask that you would help them to see you at work in it, Lord, that they would rely on you and know that in their weakness, you are strong. Would you help us all, Lord, to depend more and more on you each day, to look to you, to know that in and of ourselves that we are weak and look to you to make us strong. And would you help us stronger being and playing the role that you have called us to play? Amen. All right, for, just for the final, like, 10 minutes or so, though, I just thought we might, if we could just break down into groups and pray. I thought the best way of applying this message is actually by depending on God, praying to him, asking him, breaking into groups of about four or five. If there is something that you're going through that you would like prayer for, please feel free to share that with people. Or let's just pray that God makes us strong and helps us to be the woman he's called us to be for about the next 10 minutes. Then feel free to eat any food that's left. We have to. We'll be wrapping our time up by 10.30. 
and then we have to be out of here by 11. If you are able to hang around and help put things away, that'd be great. But if you're not, that's fine too. All right, thanks, ladies.